Now, all of us face challenges in our lives on a regular basis. Some are bigger challenges and some are smaller. Some are tougher than others. We face challenges in the areas of health, uh, relationships, jobs, finances, habits. Sometimes the challenges are long-running, and other times they appear suddenly, and it's uh, unexpected. Sometimes we are tempted to respond in anger. Why is this happening to me? I, it shouldn't be happening to me. Uh, sometimes we are reduced to desperation. We don't know what to do. Uh, and something comes into our lives unexpectedly, and all too often we try to escape our challenges with our own strength and with our own wisdom. And sometimes we're even tempted to blame God. And the question, why God? Why is this happening to me? I, I don't deserve this. Now where do these challenges come from? Well, I believe that challenges in our lives and temptations do not come from God. In fact, God's word says that God doesn't tempt anybody. Uh, God doesn't cause bad things to come into our lives. Uh, all good gifts come down from the Father above. And so it makes no sense to blame God. God is good all the time. He's allowed things to come into our lives, but He doesn't create them or, or to cause them. And so the challenges and things that we face in our lives, there are, are attacks of our enemy Satan who seeks to defeat us, who seeks to destroy us. The Bible, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the challenges that we face, they may seem like, like random events, but they really are not. Ephesians 6.12, I'd encourage you to follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin, says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Now, when I was in high school, I was a wrestler. So this wrestling uh, metaphor here, you know, when you wrestle, it's, it's an intense thing. The matches are only six minutes, you know, <laughs> three periods, but you are exhausted at the end of those six minutes. It's an intense thing that takes all your concentration, that takes all of your strength. And, and challenges that come into our lives are things that we wrestle with. And where does this verse say these challenges are, are coming from? Oftentimes we think they're coming from other people. You know, other people are our problems. But it says, no, it's not flesh and blood. These challenges that we wrestle against come from unseen evil spiritual forces that are coming against us. Things that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And we cannot defeat those forces in our own strength. We cannot defeat those forces with our own wisdom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How can we deal with challenges that are coming at us in our lives from these unseen spiritual forces? The message is entitled Prayer Warfare. And so our first response when we face challenges, when, when we are being attacked in various ways, should be to look to God in prayer. Now, probably we all know that. But do we really do that? We all know a lot more than we put into practice. He is the only one who can give us the victory. He is the only one who can help us to defeat the enemy. And prayer is both a defensive and an offensive weapon for the believer. 
this chapter in Ephesians 6 that we just read this verse uh, from uh, deals with our spiritual warfare with evil forces. And it gives us a list of different weapons that are in the arsenal of the believer. And at the very end of this list, we are directed towards the weapon of prayer in verse 18. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, the word supplication we don't use much is simply making requests, uh, praying, asking God for help in in times of trouble. And so prayer is the connection with God's power that makes it possible for all the other weapons that the believer has to be effective. 2 Corinthians 10.4 speaks of these supernatural weapons. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power, but, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so God gives a believer spiritual weapons, not physical swords or uh, machine guns or whatever you might have, spears, but spiritual weapons that can destroy strongholds. And so prayer is a spiritual weapon with divine power that will enable us to destroy strongholds of the enemy. Now, what are these strongholds? A stronghold is a, is a place in a, a person's life that is under the enemy's power or is occupied by the enemy's power. And these strongholds can be in our own lives or they can be in the lives of other people. And what is the evidence of a spiritual stronghold? The evidence of a spiritual stronghold in your life or somebody else's life is habitual or repetitive sin. They, they keep falling into the same sin over and over again. The enemy has a stronghold in their life. Strongholds can be characteristic of an entire city or a region or, or even a country. When many people have the same type of stronghold in their lives. Today we're going to look at three weapons in our prayer arsenal, the prayer arsenal of believers that will help us in our individual prayer lives and as we pray together corporately to destroy the enemy's strongholds. The first weapon of prayer is praise and thanksgiving. We might not think of praise as a weapon, but we're going to see it is, it is powerful. Now in the message today, we're going to be looking at a number of stories in the Bible. And we don't have time to read the entire story. So we're just going to pick out a few verses. I'm going to talk about it. But I'd really encourage you to take the time this week and read the whole passages that we're referring to so that you get the full impact of what God's Word is teaching us about prayer warfare. And so praise prepares us for battle. We're going to look at a passage from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It tells of the time when the people of God, the people in Judah, were facing an attack of a huge army consisting of uh, armies of Moab and Ammon. And the armies were far greater than the armies that uh, Judah had at their disposal. The king at that time was King Jehoshaphat. And when he became aware of all these armies massed to attack, he became afraid. And he did a good thing. He began to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. And he called all the people, God's people together, and they sought the Lord as well. And as they sought the Lord, a prophet spoke to them and told the people, don't be afraid because the battle is not yours, 
The battle is the Lord's. And Jehoshaphat responded in verse 18. He bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the, King, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And so we see the fear in the people's hearts now was being replaced by praise and worship, both in the king's heart and the people's heart. When you praise and worship, faith begins to grow in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. Why? Because when you praise and worship, what are you focusing on? You're focusing on God, the all-powerful God. Your eyes then are moved from watching this huge army assemble itself coming against you and you're looking at God who could wipe that army out by a blink of the eye. And so faith grows. And what happened? Verse 21, And when he had taken counsel, the king had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went out before the army. And say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. And so after praying and fasting and seeking God, the army of Judah marched out. But at the head of the army, leading the army, were the unarmed praise singers. Now Richard has declined to volunteer unarmed, going in front of the army. And as they marched out, the praise band began to sing and praise the Lord. And the Lord caused the enemy armies to begin to fight one another. And they destroyed one another. And it says when, the, when Israel arrived at the scene where the armies were encamped, they were all dead. And the victory had been won without sword, without arrow, without spear, simply praise. Praise prepared for battle. In fact, praise won the battle as God fought for Israel. Praise brings miracles. Let's jump to the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were being followed by a demon-possessed girl who told fortunes for her owners and made a lot of money for them. She kept calling out, and finally, uh, Paul went to her. He cast the demon out. She was set free, I assume saved, and her owners were upset. Why? It's all about the money, right? They were not going to be making any more money by her telling fortunes. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested, put in prison, uh, beaten, their feet were fastened in stocks, and they were sitting in prison. Oh, how did they respond? Well, not the way I would have responded. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I would have been sorely tempted to be complaining, to be moaning. My back would have hurt. I'd be uncomfortable in these stocks in a damp, cold, dirty prison with rats eating my toes or whatever was going on there. Uh, but 
these two guys were praising God, singing. In fact, they were singing so loudly that everybody in prison were keeping everybody awake. Uh, they were listening to them sing. And so they were being witnesses right in the prison. Well, what happened? Well, I think God liked that. So, verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So their praise brought a miracle. I think that praise was an evidence of an unshakable, very strong faith that they were in a place where God wanted them to be. It wasn't an accident. I would say, God, I did all this great stuff. Now look what happened. But they knew they were right where they were supposed to be. God sent an earthquake, set them free. And as you read on in the story, uh, they were able to witness to the jailer and his entire household were saved. And they uh, remained, Paul and Silas remained free. Praise brought a miraculous intervention. So what is it about praise that defeats the enemy? Well, praise runs totally contrary to our, our natural or fleshly desires or responses to challenges. In the first story we read, Judah was facing this larger army, and the natural response was, that, was his fear. The natural response is, I'm going to run and hide, or maybe just surrender. But to go towards this deadly enemy army where, by which you're outnumbered with a praise team who are unarmed at your lead took faith, and God rewarded that faith. Paul and Silas in prison, severely beaten, uncomfortable prison cell. Rather than grumbling, rather than blaming God for their situation, the men were praising him and being a witness to other believers. That praise was an expression of faith. That praise released God's power into their situation and miracles happened. And the same can happen for us when we face challenges in our life. I mean, the stories in the Bible are not just what happened 2,000 years ago. Yes, they, these stories really did happen. But they're not just there so that we can become ancient history buffs. They're there to teach us what God is like and how God responds to faith. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our pain, we can always praise God. He's always worthy of our praise. And, and as we do that, He will fight our battles. The next weapon of prayer is, is prayer with fasting. Fasting in the Bible is going without food for a period of time while focused on prayer. In fact, as we go through these different weapons of prayer, we'll see that they overlap because King Jehoshaphat called his people to prayer and fasting. We're going to see some other examples here. But prayer with fasting, uh, going without food for a period of time to concentrate on prayer uh, helps us in Connecting with God. Let's look at a story from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel writes, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So the prophet Daniel at this time was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah who had prophesied that the captivity... Daniel was in captivity, would be 70 years, and that after 70 years, the captivity would end, and the people would be able to go back to Israel. And so Daniel was seeking God through fasting and prayer to bring about this promise 
that had been prophesied. Daniel didn't assume the promise would be automatically fulfilled. He began to pray. He was very serious in his prayers. He prayed in verse 20. As you see, we're skipping through a number of verses here. You can read on your own. Well, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. And as I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And so as Daniel was praying, as he was fasting, as he was confessing his sins and the sins of the people of God, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. Gabriel came in direct response to Daniel's prayer and fasting. And Gabriel then gave Daniel understanding about what was going to happen in the future. God's future plan for his people. And so uh, Daniel humbling himself and praying to God with fasting connected with God in a special way. I, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but, but fasting does something for us. It humbles us. It makes us rely on God. It helps our faith grow strong. And God honors that as we pray with fasting. Not only does prayer with fasting help in connecting with God, it helps in spiritual warfare. Of course, those are related. Let's look at an example from the life of Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, I would be hungry too. I'm hungry after one day, uh, after not eating food. But this happened immediately. Chapter 3, Jesus was water baptized, and the Holy Spirit came down on him. He was spirit baptized. And immediately after that, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But before that happened, and I believe Jesus knew it was going to happen, Jesus prepared himself for this encounter with Satan by fasting for 40 days. I believe he was praying as well. We read countless times in the scripture, Jesus prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer. Uh, at the end of the 40 days, he was physically weak, but he was spiritually strong. So how did Satan begin his temptation? Well, Satan knew. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, that's Jesus, answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus was in this physically vulnerable state, very hungry after fasting for all these days. And Satan said, hey, you know, you're the son of God. You can turn these stones into bread. And could Jesus have done that? Yeah, of course he could have. Uh, and he was tempted physically to do that. But Jesus was able to resist that temptation to use his power in an ungodly way, to use his power to follow a, a temptation, to give in to a temptation of Satan. Uh, Jesus resisted it by quoting Scripture. Physical food is secondary to the spiritual food of God's Word. And so because of Jesus' 40 days of prayer and fasting, he was able to resist and repel that temptation and the other two temptations of Satan, which were very real temptations, very powerful temptations. But Jesus resisted them with God's word. And so prayer and fasting helps in spiritual warfare. If if Jesus needed to pray with fasting, 
to resist Satan's temptations, how much more do we at certain times need to do that? Now, prayer with fasting can be practiced either individually or, or corporately by a group of believers. As we already said, in the case of King Jehoshaphat, there was uh, all the people of Israel came together for prayer and fasting. Next month, beginning on March 3rd, we'll be calling our church family to 40 days of prayer and fasting uh, leading up to the Sunday before Easter on April 14th. We're going to have the Seek God for the City prayer guides that give you things to pray for each of those 40 days. Scriptures and prayers that we've gone through a couple years in the past have been very helpful. We'll be praying for our church, for our city, for our nation, and we'll have more details uh, when we get closer. We're not calling you for a total fast for 40 days. Uh, I've never done that. Some people have actually uh, done that or some modified things, but uh, you need, uh, <clears throat> it's not for the faint of heart, uh, but God will call you. We'll talk more about what kind of fasting you might do. Uh, for a period of time, a meal during a certain day of the week or a day here or there. God will call you. Everybody doesn't have to do the same. But as you pray, God will lead you in what you can do to humble yourself, to intensify your prayers, to really seek him. And we can begin even now to, to pray for that time, for those 40 days, that God would use those in our individual lives and in our church as well. A third type of prayer weaponry that we are studying this morning is corporate prayer. And again, these overlap, but praying with other believers is, is critically important, both for our individual lives and for our church. Jesus made it clear that when believers gather together and pray in unity, you know, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst, there's something special about praying together with other believers for the same thing. There's something special about it, and God's power is released in a, in a special way. Because we, we're all, we all can pray by ourselves, and we tend to pray for our own needs, but when we pray with other people, we, we tend to pray for things outside of ourselves, for things that are, we can agree on that are bigger issues, and God honors that. There are prayer requests, I believe, that will never be answered by individual prayer. They'll only be answered as we come together and agree with other believers through corporate prayer. And I, I don't believe we've really begun to tap the power of, of praying together. One aspect of corporate prayer is, corporate prayer is repentance. Some well-known verses in 2 Chronicles 7, God is speaking here, and he says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So these famous verses were spoken of the Lord, <clears throat> by the Lord to Solomon on the occasion of the dedication of the temple. And God brings judgment on nations through various kinds of natural disasters. And here 
he's naming some of those things uh, when the people in the land are living in sin. And uh, I believe this, it still happens today. There's nothing that said God does not send his judgment on sin. In fact, the Bible, the New Testament says he he's continues to pour out his wrath on sin. And so these things happen. God designed for his people to walk in holiness, to not live in sin. God designed for his people to intercede for the land, for sinners, that God would come and deliver them from their sin. And when God's people do not intercede for a nation, then God's judgment continues to fall increasingly on that nation. And the solution here is for God's people to humble themselves And oftentimes in the Bible, fasting is talked of as humbling yourself. It's one way to humble yourself. When God's people humble themselves in prayer and repentance and seek God with all their hearts, then God will forgive and bring about healing to the nation. And it begins with the people of God. Obviously, the people of God are living in sin. If the people of God do not repent, then their prayers are not going to be effective. We begin with our own sins, repenting of them, and then we begin to pray for the sins of the nation. And we all know that our nation needs repentance. Our nation needs forgiveness. Our nation needs healing. Corporate prayer and repentance. The second type of corporate prayer I want to talk about this morning is when we face opposition. I jump to the New Testament again in Acts chapter 4. In this chapter, Peter and John had been arrested for healing a man and preaching about Jesus. And the authorities uh, didn't like it. And so they arrested them and they told them, stop doing this kind of stuff. Stop talking about Jesus. And so they released him and said, don't do it again. So what did the church do? Well, in verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's interesting in their prayer, they didn't start by focusing on the problem. They started by focusing on God. They started by what? Praising God. God, you're the creator. You made everything there is. I mean, what's happening here is nothing to you. You can read the entire prayer in Acts chapter 4. Let's go to the end of it. They finished the prayer in verse 29. said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so this prayer of the church in Jerusalem, this corporate prayer, was a courageous prayer. They asked for the boldness to continue preaching and speaking about Jesus, for which a couple of their guys had just been arrested. It was against the law. They were determined to continue to obey God rather than to obey man. If the commands of man conflict with the commands of God, we obey God rather than man. They also asked for God's supernatural power to be demonstrated in their witness. And we see from the last verse here that God heard their prayer God answered their prayer. He shook the very building in which they were praying and they were all filled anew with the Holy Spirit. And the end result was the prayer was answered. 
they continued to speak God's word with boldness, and many, many more people were saved and brought into the church family. Now, as a church, we have multiple opportunities to pray together. On Sunday mornings, there's various prayers prayed from the front. We can agree together. We don't just listen. We need to agree. We need to pray along with whoever is praying. That's one way we can pray together. In our weekly life groups, uh, that's one reason to be part of a life group. You can pray together with other people. Now, we uh, can pray together for individual things. Somebody has an issue, two or three in the group can pray for the other person. That's corporate prayer for an individual issue. Or we can pray for larger issues, such as things that affect our church, things that affect our city, and so on. And finally, we have a monthly prayer and praise on the uh, third Wednesday of every month, uh, here from 7 to 8, and we'd love to see each one of you at that corporate prayer meeting. Uh, we spend some time talking about prayer, uh, and then we spend uh, some time in worship and praise and spend some time praying together for the needs primarily of the church and also the, the city and the nation. And so God has given us a powerful weapon in prayer to defeat the enemy. And each of us can learn to use that weapon more effectively. Prayers of praise and thanksgiving, they build our faith. They prepare us for spiritual battle. They bring miracles. When we face particularly difficult situations or at different seasons in our life, prayer with fasting helps to intensify our prayers, to connect us with God, to unleash power into uh, spiritual warfare situations. And finally, God is present in a special way when we agree and pray together with other believers. And so my heart is that we would all continue to grow in using the powerful weapon of prayer to extend God's kingdom. Now this morning, if you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, the first way to have powerful prayer in your life is to become a believer, is to admit that you've sinned, believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins and commit your life to following him. So I'd like us all to bow our heads right now. <clears throat> if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or recommit your life so that he is truly Lord of your life, you don't become a Christian by being baptized as an infant. You don't become a believer by simply believing in God. It all has to do with Jesus. Jesus is the very Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took our sins upon himself in a way that's hard to understand, but he paid the penalty for our sin, which is eternal torment in hell. He rose from the dead three days later, which gave us the assurance that that penalty was paid. And if we put our faith and trust in him, he forgives all of our sins and gives us eternal life. And the way to have that eternal life is, is to admit that you've sinned, to put your faith and trust, to give your whole life into the hands of Jesus and commit yourself to following him and his word. It's a simple but profound decision. If you've never made that decision before, 
or you'd like to recommit your life to the Lord this morning. Perhaps you've made it in the past, but you've strayed away from your commitment to the Lord Jesus. And I encourage you to pray along with me. Pray something like this. Father, you can pray in your own mind and agree with my prayer. God knows your thoughts. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe you rose from the dead and I commit my life to following you as my Lord and Savior, to following your word. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.